You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We missed Friday the 13th by this much. This much. This much. Friday, November 12th, just baseball show. Jack McMullen, Peter Apple, wasn't it nuts when the Ravens beat the Dolphins by 35 last night? Yeah, it's probably what's going to happen. And as you know, we always check in on the MLB, not even MLB best bets anymore. The NFL best bets on just gridiron fans on TikTok. Yeah. I got Dolphins plus eight. Wow. When you uh, hear I'm that here. tomorrow and the Ravens won 48 to 0. Wait, hold on. I'm feeling. Not yet, Arm. What'd you say, Pete? <laughs> what do you mean? I said when the when the Ravens probably beat the Dolphins by 48, you can come back to this episode and say, wow, what an idiot. But when the Dolphins win, come back to this episode and say, wow, what a genius. Yeah, yeah Arm, you, you said you were here too? Yeah, I just wanted to let people know I was here because you just said Peter Apple and then got straight into the football stuff. Yeah, sorry, man. How was your uh, Whole Foods chicken earlier today? It was good. Is, is that the punishment for delaying recording by 10 minutes? Is that you don't introduce me? I think so. I was actually going <laughs> to delay introducing you by 10 minutes. Um, okay, that's fair. But the irony in that is you actually owe the opposite to me on these episodes because you lost a bet. And yeah, you're, actually wow. to be nice. you're actually supposed to be nice to me. Wow. No, these episodes. No. I said one episode. So the and it Monday hasn't happened episode, yet. <laughs> the Monday episode of the Just Baseball Show, I'm going to be nice to you. So when you listen to the Just Baseball Show on Monday, every point you make, I'm going to precede my rebuttal and or agreement with something very nice about you. So I'm going to spend the weekend. I'm going to open up one note on my laptop and I'm going to type out everything that I love about you, Aram. And I'm just going to whip through it. On Monday. It's going to be like that SpongeBob episode where he just writes the like T-H-E very fancy. And <laughs> you then guys need to gets... explain this bet again. You guys need to explain the bet for, for all those who, who may not know. So I'm here... a believer. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go okay. Ahead. So here's how, here's how it went. Aram and I had a, a separate text thread going where we were talking about television ratings. And I said, you know, every single live event on television is down. Once COVID hit, right, you thought the TV ratings were going to boom. They dropped off a cliff because everybody started streaming. And aside from select games, you know, you see the NFL, their ratings going up. MLB's regular season, it went up. But I was thinking, you know, just with the trends in television and viewership, World Series ratings were going to be down. 
and television I, ratings, not just overall people watching it. No, just overall television ratings were going to be down because they have been down across the board since COVID hit. Nobody has gone back to live television. They're all streaming. Yeah. And I bet Aram that the World Series was going to average under 9 million viewers on a per game basis. It was about 10.5. So Aram won by a million and a half. He smoked me. So because of that, I need to say nice things to Aram every time I make a point on uh, Monday's episode. But this is a pretty good episode. Today, we're doing mock trades. Aram cooked up five beast ones on JustBaseball.com. You can read the full article there. And we also got to fill out our ballots. The MVP, the Cy Young, the Rookie of the Year, the Manager of the Year Award. We were saying that we were going to go over the gold gloves, but uh, kind of already happened. And I don't love the gold sure. glove discussion that much because I don't know how they're rating them. I really don't. I mean, are I, they looking at all the numbers? It doesn't really seem like it. Aram, can you retell the story uh, that Jeff Conan gave you about gold gloves? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like they, I don't think they know how they're rating it, to be honest. Right. Um, and, and I keep mixing it up. It's not Palmero, right? It was who, who was it again? It was Palmero. It was Palmero. Okay, that's what I thought. So for those who don't know the story and Jeff told this on outside the box, because we were talking about the gold glove award and he's like, you know, in theory, I love it. It's fun. It's like the all defense team, like in the NBA, the problem is it's all just on, it's the most driven by narrative of any award because you can't even conceptualize it with stats that much. And where he hit his tipping point was when Rafael Palmero only played, what was the exact number, Jack? It was, it was 20, 23 games or 36 it was it was sub 40 games i'm finding first base i'm finding it right now okay so while you say that he dh'd 85 percent of his starts and won the gold glove at first base i mean that's ridiculous like that's that that's almost like seeing how far you can push it to invalidate the award without people noticing like how do you have a dh win the first base what what was the exact number jack yeah as a 34 year old with the texas rangers in 1999 Rafael Palmero won the gold glove having started 28 games at first like, base and 128 oh. games as the DH. How does that happen? It's Ridiculous. the worst. That might be the worst thing to ever happen to baseball. And that's saying a lot, a lot. It's up the worst. There's been it's up bad there. things, including an impending lockout that we're dealing with. But the Palmero gold glove is where we draw bro, the line. Bro, it the could walk out. It could walk out till 2025, and I'd still put that Palmero thing first. This sport hits crisis mode. This sport hits crisis mode once every two weeks, and this is the worst thing to happen to baseball. The Palmero Gold Glove, the ultimate scandal. I wake up in a sweat every single night. Aram, Aram, you have some hammers of trades. Yeah. And you can find the full article on JustBaseball.com. It's labeled five MLB blockbuster trades to spark the hot stove. And these are, you also like to preface this, these are trades that you would love to see happen, yeah, yeah, yeah. not necessarily the, I'm predicting that these are the exact trades that will happen over this offseason. Of course not. You know, I wanted to find the balance between like, oh, I'm just going to trade everybody's best player in a mega deal. And also this is the most realistic, boring trade possible. Like these are all trade candidates, very high probability trade candidates aside from maybe, maybe Gabriel Moreno, just cause I had to trade him to the Marlins as, as I said, I want to see this. So I put my little personal touch in there, but I like it. You know, th- these are all trade candidates that will 
likely be moved, but obviously there's a long list of suitors. And I, I really just focused on the package because I, th- I wanted to help serve a purpose of trying to conceptualize for people where I think their trade value is. And I think that's a really big takeaway from the article too. Aram, real quick, before you try and solve the Marlins catching situation, <laughs> it looks like Jorge Alfaro is really figuring his swing out, really figuring it out. Yeah, He's they're a utility guy. Well, they're going, uh, him and Isan Diaz are, are going to the same hitting coach. And I'll, I'll tell you, there was a video that came Me, out. I'm their <laughs> hitting coach. Well, I, I wish I would take you. The, 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 the video I saw on TikTok, that hitting coach had them working on their, with a hockey stick. They're working on a slap shot. And that Whatever that drill does, I'd love to it's know. It's called being a dual sport athlete. This. Kyler Murray, Bo Jackson, ever heard of it? Yeah, Alfaro could do it probably. I mean, if, an athlete. if these guys, if he fixes those two guys, Make him the president of the United States. I don't even care about hitting coach. Make him the commissioner. Make him whatever he wants. That he's he's he said he's he's like I'm I'm a doctor basically of your swing is what he said in the video. Hell man, like he is God on earth if he fixes those two guys. Yeah, he, what did he say? Um, I'm probably like, get his I think it's so regard. funny the Esau Diaz or Alfaro conversation with the Marlins. It makes me laugh every single time because they're two of the worst players to ever play in this game. I think <laughs> they're all, they're up there. Here's what this guy said to Alfaro. He said, um, "You know what what happens when you tear your UCL and you need Tommy John? You go to a doctor, right? Uh, what happens if your swings off? You go to a hitting coach. If this doctor doesn't go to, doesn't do a good enough job restructuring your UCL, um, whose fault is it? Is it yours?" or is it the doctors? So if your hitting coach can't fix your swing, whose fault is it? Is it your fault or is it the hitting coaches? You're putting way too much pressure on the hitting coach there. The best part about that, I, I hope we can like edit this audio into it somehow. Like Ben Bilotti, please edit that audio in because the best part about it is Alfaro's sitting there looking like if, if, I, if a look could care, kill somebody, that's what Alfaro had going on. And also he knew he was being recorded the guy. So he was like, yo, yo, record this real quick. I'm going to just spit some absolute bars and just thought he went off there. Like he thought it was sick, but yeah, we got it. We got to put that video up. And before that we get into, tra- yeah, before we get into the trade, shout out Ben Bellotti. He's been running our Instagram. He is a stud. He's writing on our site. He even made picks during the postseason. Ben, if you're listening, your picks didn't do that well, but it's no. all, about, you know, it's all about trying and it's all about next year. And it's not gambling advice anyway, so who even cares? Yeah. All right, yeah. let's let's break into trade number one. Matt Olson lands in Yankee Stadium. The Yankees get Matt Olson, the first baseman for the Oakland A's, and the Athletics get shortstop prospect Oswald Peraza, starting pitcher Davey Garcia, another starter, Luis Medina, and a somewhat catcher, just more of a bat, in that. Austin Wells, their first round pick in 2020 at the end of the first round. I love this package. I've also seen that due to the 40-man roster, I guess some of those configurations, they want to put like a Voight, a Domingo Herman in that deal. But if I'm the A's, I just simply don't want yeah. those players. I mean, Voight is a good player. Of course. Voight is a good player. I just don't know if you trade Matt Olsen, that's the guy then you just want in return. That doesn't make sense. Unless you plan on flipping Voight, you know, in which you could do, you know, you, you could do, him, and you're the A's. Put him in the middle. Of doing that. Put him in the middle of your order, and and makes you a little bit more competitive, at least on paper. And then you flip him, I guess. But if it lessens your prospect return, it's not worth it. So let's talk some of these prospects. Like who is Oswald Peraza? Well, first, he's a he's a shortstop prospect that was always looked at as a glove, 
but really came onto the scene this year with the bat and vaulted what into the top 50 on our just baseball top 100 prospects. I think just outside of it, just outside of the top 50, but yeah. like right on the brink. And uh, that's, I mean, that's a good spot to be given that he, he was somebody that wasn't on the top 100 list anywhere going Not into even close. And you have the glove still. Now you have the bat that was really played up and he's got above average speed. He's really just a high four dude. I know some A's fans are like, why do we want him if we have Nick Allen, who's you know, the best defensive shortstop in the minors? But you don't really look at it that way if you're a rebuilding team. You're just acquiring assets. And if you can acquire shortstops, you would you do it. You're not you play saying like, too. oh, it's not like Nick Allen, some can't miss guy, too. He, he could easily be Nick Ahmed. And at that yeah. point, you're like, uh, Kevin Newman. all right. Yeah. So, like, who cares? And, so Luis, I, Med- and Luis Medina is another guy that throws 102. We saw him in the, in the Futures game down at Colorado at Coors, oh at Coors Field. He had electric stuff, but... I remember kind of looking over to you and being like, his 102 does not look like Cade Cavalli's 100. And when I say that, I mean, Cade Cavalli's 100 actually looked harder than Luis Medina touching 102. It, it may not be that high a spin. That was just like from watching him up close. The stuff rings off the scoreboard. But do you think it's actually going to translate into getting outs against big leaguers? Yeah, that was my only concern with the package. And I'm curious what Jack's thoughts are on this because Oakland hasn't been great at developing pitchers as of late. You know, it's been nice to see James Caprellian kind of turn that corner, but you know, that was just him, I think, getting healthy more than anything. Yeah, they agree. haven't really developed guys. You know, we saw Lizardo struggle and they gave up on him and they sent him out to Miami. Uh, I, I really haven't seen them do that other than like the, the journeyman or like kind of quadruple a guy that takes it to the next level. Manaya, I guess could be that guy, but he's also 29 now. Yeah. It's what I'm saying. It's like usually it's like these older guys that finally figure it out a little bit, but yeah. they don't really develop the volatile prospect. And I don't know if they would want both Davey and Medina. That's the only thing, but I mean, you can adjust it as such. I just thought the upside of Davey and Medina is immense and they're both you know, close to big league ready, if not big league ready. Obviously, Medina's another year and a half out, but Davey could be up there now if he works out the kinks. Yeah, I don't know how much you need to tinker with Davey Garcia because I think Davey Garcia is, he's not a finished product, but he's an MLB ready product. Um, And I think he's close to getting finished. And if, you know, Oakland does have faith in their pitching, in their pitching coach and, you know, their coaching staff on the pitching side, I think Davey is just a few short tweaks away from being a legitimate major league starter. Now with mm-hmm. Medina, like, I don't think you need to create something new with him. I don't think you need to reinvent the wheel with Medina. Um, and also if you like this discussion, make sure you go back and listen to the Wednesday pod where we really dive into these guys. Um, but Medina, you know, I think one Oh two is one Oh two. And even, uh, yeah, it's true. Reliever, but he was getting hit in the futures game. That was the thing. And I like him also with Devi. Devi's fine. I, I'm, I'm higher not, than I'm higher. I think, than you I'm are. just not the biggest fan of his. Yeah, I, I think, like him and I hope the best for him. And I hope he stays with York or if we use him for a trade piece and he ends up having a nice career, I just watch him. And I'm just, I don't know really how he's going to get hitters out. I think he walks a lot of guys. I don't think his fastball is necessarily looks kind of easy to hit. Looks kind of flat. There's not much velo there and he has the big bender, but I assume if you just sit off speed, it just doesn't seem like it's that hard to hit this guy. But he is young, and he, He's is, 22. For, yeah. he is 22. So give him a little bit of time. But from what I've seen, I just haven't been really floored at all. Yeah. So we can get into number two. 
This is another good one. The Mariners, the Seattle Mariners land an ace in Luis Castillo. The Mariners get Luis Castillo, Mike Moustakis, and Cash. And the Reds, they get young pitching prospects Emerson Hancock and Matt Brash, along with center fielder Jake Fraley, who I have a personal relationship with, Jake Fraley, because Jake Fraley has either saved or lost me so many bets on the Mariners by just robbing home run after home run. Can he hit? Kind of. That's to be seen. But can he rob home runs with the best of them? Like I've never seen. (laughs) Jack, yell at me. What's wrong with it? What's wrong Uh, with the trade? No, I think think Seattle gets the guy they need at the front of the rotation. My only problem with it. Oh, wait. Okay. So Seattle gets their ace. What? I have problems with it too. Okay. Um, But for only one reason. Seattle gets their ace. And they also get a power bat you can plug in immediately. Yes. And you hold on to George Kirby. Yes. You're giving away a potential ace and a potential two with some of the nastiest stuff. Emerson Hancock can yep. be an ace. Matt Brash can be the filthiest two. Like think Freddie Peralta. Like that's what Matt Brash can turn into. Yeah. Jack, you just said everything I wanted to say. I just, I like Emerson Hancock and Matt Brash too much. They're, they're so good. And I think both of them could be as good as a Luis Castillo. And if you're the Mariners, is that like, that's the guy? That's the guy that you're I, trading Hancock and Brash for. I mean, Luis like, Cast- go package those and give them, to, give them to Cleveland for Bieber. Pete, you're going to let Arm rebut? No. You're not, you're, you're not getting Bieber with those two. Like, not, we not got more, but. You're going to need a lot more. I, I just think, well, Luis Castillo was so good in the second half, too, after a disastrous first half, and I think he got back to, to who he is. Brash, which is funny, I just had a random flashback of me giving you guys the whole Brash pitch uh, yeah. like a couple months ago, and people were like started tweeting at us Brash highlights, and they, like went, they went pretty big. His slider is otherworldly. But Brash is a dude that has had some arm issues in the past. He's going to be 24 almost by the start of the season. Uh, he's only pitched 97, 100 innings total in his minor league career at this point between the two seasons, 2019 and 2021. Yes, we've seen some really good things, but there's still a good deal of reliever risk there. You get to keep Kirby. You get to keep Brandon Williamson, who I would prefer to keep over Brash, which is why I made it Brash. And I figure wow. that if you're going to get Luis Castillo, you know, the Reds are going to be asking for a couple main guys. I'm personally preferring to keep the lefty in Williamson because what other lefties do the Mariners have? That was the big thing for me. Like Justice Sheffield, I'm not excited about him. Uh, you, I, we love Kirby. We love, we love Hancock. You know, we love all of those big righties. But Williamson's like the only lefty that has that like middle rotation upside. And if you trade him away, now you've got no southpaw. Uh, in your system. I don't usually like to cater your system towards what you have and don't have, but like, that's a, that's a big need to have a lefty in your system, especially when you don't really have a lefty at the big league level outside of Marco Gonzalez. So if Aram was a GM, he would just go grab a bunch of six, five right-handed pitchers, center fielders and shortstops and work from there. Not a bad decision, but Aram about these prospects, like you'll tell me, and this conversation actually makes sense for the next trade, but also with this one. Like, you'll tell me about a prospect, and then I'll be like, awesome. I'll go look at video and be like, I come to you, I'm like, yes, this guy is the best. Then you trade him. And you don't even value the way that you were, like, telling me. I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) 
what, it's what are we doing true. here? I just watched Matt Brash's slider. What now you're gonna trade him? You're like, you just sold him, you just sold me on him, and now you're got, trading. <laughs> it's very now true. he's gone. It's very true. It is and very this true. breaks into the third trade, which I actually I didn't get pissed at you, but I told you I was like, they cannot trade this catcher for this pitcher. Yeah. This one wouldn't happen. This is the one that honestly is ridiculous. We we can flip flop it for for the guy that's actually going to get traded here, but we can still talk about it. We can still talk about it because it is fun and who cares? The Blue Jays send catching for Marlins pitching. The Blue Jays get starting pitcher Pablo Lopez on the Marlins, but the Marlins get young catching prospect and a top 10 guy in the just baseball top 100, Gabriel Moreno and Kevin Smith. When I saw that, you're telling me Gabriel Moreno is next up in catching position, future yeah. all-star, unbelievable bat, a top 10 guy in our system. Yep. And then what you do is you trade him for a three on the Marlins. Yes. Is Paulo Lopez a good pitcher? Actually, yes. He's the best three in baseball. <laughs> but he's not a two. Freddie Peralta is a three currently. Freddie Peralta is a two. Freddie Peralta is a two. But he's a three in the rotation. But he's a two. Mm, I see what you're how saying. many how many rotations would Pablo Lopez be a three in? I mean, we can have like, this conversation. Yeah, no, I'm saying like, but I'm just curious. Like that that's something that we'd have to answer. Like I, I think there's a lot of rotations where he could be, you know, a solid, solid two. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, he's not he's not an ace, but the Marlins aren't trading Sandy. Uh, Sixto is damaged at this point. You know, I think he can come back and be good, but he's damaged goods at this point. Sixto you're not, you're not very bonds of pitching. I stand by him. What does that mean? What, it what is... means that he's going to put together one season that baseball reference breaks on. Like just pulling everything. Arm Maybe. explained this to me per- perfectly. How do you have that great of stuff and you aren't striking out low A, double A hitters? How? Brewstar. Brewstar's a reliever. Yeah, if he ends up like Brewstar, I'm going to put my head through a wall. <laughs> like then, what, he's a seventh inning guy who just chucks? I mean, I like Brewstar, God, he's a good reliever, but like that's what you're getting from your, at one time, your best pitching prospect in Sixto? Sanchez. They bo- I'm pretty sure they both have similar work ethics. But uh, the so on the Moreno thing, I I really think that there's no way he goes anywhere, obviously. We just saw Morosi, which is so funny. John Morosi, who's been all over it, by the way. I love Morosi. Morosi's been on it. And Morosi said uh, that Alejandro Kirk has been discussed uh, or, or could be discussed with the Marlins. So, you know, you flip-flop that with Kirk. Then I don't think the Marlins have to give up Pablo, right? Like, then you could give up maybe Eliezer Hernandez and a prospect. If you're trading Pablo for Alejandro Kirk, I, I find that one hard to justify because Kirk is good, but he's also 5'8", 265 pounds with some – iffy defense and like i'm gonna be honest like if i'm a scout right like if i'm as a prospect analyst i'm watching a guy whose defense has slowed a little bit and i'm looking at him objectively being the largest man at his position it doesn't help to move like that's something that i'm sure the jays are 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 wary of to a degree moreno is is as elite as it gets i mean look at his numbers that guy hits 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 now he's showing that he can hit for power the defense looks really good in the arizona fall league so let's say it's Kirk. Can the Marlins get Kirk? I'll turn it back on you guys. Can the Marlins get Kirk without trading Pablo Lopez or Max Meyer? Can the Marlins get Kirk without trading? Yeah. I would rather have Pablo Lopez and Max Meyer than Alejandro Kirk. I don't so know who do if they Alejandro trade? Kirk is that good. Really? You don't think he's that good? He has. Right. Yeah, he has some pop. Not really. The, I mean, 
I'm watching Yankees Blue Jays. Games. Like, this guy doesn't scare me in the lineup, and I'm not oh seeing God. him behind the plate being so athletic and such a great player. Like I like Moreno a lot more, way more. I just realized something. What if he's just Williams, Austin Dillo? Oh my gosh, La Tortuga. Oh no, I, I'm a, I'm gonna spin it back for you. You replace Kim Nang for one day, and you get to make this trade if it is offered to you. Sandy Alcantara. No. <laughs> but just go ahead. go ahead. For Moreno and Nate Pearson. Oh. <laughs> Jack, when you hear that, what do you think? Yeah, Jack, what do you think? If I'm the GM of the Marlins? You replace Kim Nang for one day. Here's my, here's my problem with this trade. I keep looking at it from the Blue Jays' side because the Blue Jays are the one that are looking for immediate benefits, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here saying like, okay, can you, if you're the Marlins, can you get Kirk without giving up Meyer or Pablo Lopez? And I'm thinking, can you get Pablo Lopez without giving up Moreno? Like, you ah, know what I mean? Turn the tables. How they, yeah, how they I was turning how the, the turntables. Turn. Yeah, that was a good Adele song. Um, I'm no, that on. was an office quote. I was That's actually right. using pop culture in a, in a podcast yeah. for once. The office doesn't really count as pop. See, we quoted something. What do we I quoted, get? We quoted something that's actually funny, unlike the yeah. same. That's this random show I haven't heard of. Yeah. Like Succession uh, or something. Okay. Um, I've heard but, only good things about Succession. To, to answer the question that you asked, Peter. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I think... Let's see. So if I took over for Kim Ang and I, I was offered Moreno and Nate Pearson for Sandy, I think I'm doing it. I think I'm doing it too. It, it, it's weird because the Marlins have so much pitching. So maybe you don't do that if you're another team and Sandy's your guy, but I don't know. Arm what if it's like Moreno and like Groshans? Now I – Groshans and you know maybe a filler i'd be interested too because marlins just need bats so badly i just can't trade sandy because i think he's so valuable i i think he's arguably one of the most valuable arms in baseball at this point when he's you go back 15 pitcher and then and then you factor in control you know age durability he's got to be one of the 10 easily maybe better than that in terms of value uh, of a player because of the contract situation too totally but Gabriel Moreno is a franchise-altering player at a premium, premium, premium position. I, I would, I would, I would do it, and then I think I'd go into a desert, unplug, and not answer anybody for like a month. And okay, then, so, hey, this would never happen. But would you go Sandy for Adley Rutschman straight up right now? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 Because that that shows you the need for a top flight catcher and it, in baseball. And yes, it's, it's like just five because, good catchers in baseball right now. Yeah. Like barely, like barely five. Like that actually five. catch and hit. It's it, hard. It's, it's, it's tough. It's really tough. I mean, Jeff, I was talking to Jeff Conan about it, even on the college side. And he was saying, finding good college catchers that can catch and hit is yeah. all is hard there too. Uh, so you can just imagine at the major league level, how hard it is. So yeah, that was, that was the most difficult trade. I do think that the Marlins are going to find a way to make it happen. I mean, Kim Ang did say that they're going to get players. Um, so that was encouraging. They, she said, we will get, we will try to get better any way we can get better. Um, very, very like revealing quote. Um, and we'll see where <laughs> it goes from there. 
but I, I do know that they're going to do something. I think they're going to try to go get a catcher, maybe a Jacob Stallings, make it easier. Uh, but I would love to see them go crazy with the Jays and figure something out. I mean, just think about catching in general. Henry Davis went number one over a guy like Jack Leiter. Yep. Premium position. Let's go to our fourth trade. The Mets I pair Matt Chapman with Francisco Lindor. The Mets will receive Matt Chapman and Diolis Guerra. The Athletics get Mark Vientos, Khalil Lee, and Alex Ramirez. Mark Vientos is the main piece coming over in that deal. Why are you guys laughing at me? Good job putting a little flavor on that, Peter, that lives in Manhattan and is just a white man. I can't win with you because if I try to get the name right, I'm laughed at. If I don't try and get the name right, I'm an idiot. When do I win? Jack. You win all the time. You win all the time. <laughs> all right, fine. Uh, that'll be my loss. But I don't care. That's the trade. But Mark Vientos is the main guy going over. He's the third base prospect with the Mets that would replace Matt Chapman. I could see this a little bit, Arm. I This is one of those that I actually I like this one. I think it's a realistic possibility. Jack, what do you think before I have to defend it? Maybe I don't have to defend this one. Yeah, I don't think you need to defend it. I think, I don't think you need to defend A's are getting their prospects back that don't need to be, you know, managed much because these are prospects that I feel like are far along. Um, and then the Mets go and get Matt Chapman, who might implode, might <laughs> boom, and I've got no idea. But that's who the Mets like. They like the incredibly volatile baseball player. And the guarantee, though, is that you have the best defensive infield in baseball. Yeah. Which is pretty Matt, cool. Did Matt Chapman hit like 212 last year? I mean, he struck out all the time. Yeah, he was. Is he? A, I mean, Matt, are you dealing with a hip thing all year? Probably I, doesn't help. It does not help. He's still coming back off of that hip surgery. I think that he's going to be much better this year. I thought he looked better down the stretch. In the last couple months, he was a little bit better hit for more power. The glove is still as good as ever. I mean, this guy, you, you ignore 2020, and then obviously this was a bad year. But 2018-2019, back-to-back 6F war seasons, I mean, that's elite. Uh, that's elite. It's not like he's 34. It's not like he's, he's over the hill. I think that's a chance you got to take when you're trading away not even your best third-base prospect. Right? Brett Beatty is your best third-base prospect. Khalil Lee is not somebody that you absolutely need. And then a lottery ticket. Uh, I love Mark Vientos. I'm a big fan, but I'm, I'm keeping Brett Beatty instead. And I think the Mets have shown their preference towards Brett Beatty by giving him more of the reps at third. Yeah. And that's why I just think Vientos could be more expendable, but that's a guy you got to be pumped to get if you're Oakland, because the bat plays, even if he can't stay at third, that's, that's a middle of the order, potential 40 home run type of guy, if it all works out. And I think it very well could. Wow. 40s high. Right. 40s high. He, he's, he's, he hits everything. I mean, he, he's got, some of the top of the line raw power in all of professional baseball. Your last trade hurts my brain. The last trade is kind of sick. And I sent him Byron Buxton. I was like, you just got to put Buxton. Cause I want to see Byron Buxton deals. So the last trade, the Phillies gamble on Byron Buxton's upside. The Phillies receive Byron Buxton and Jordan Gore. The twins get, all right. Is it Mick Abel or Mick Abel? Mick Abel. 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 Yeah, I was going to say Abel, but like, I don't want my friends laughing at me. Hans Kraus, Johan Rojas, and Casey Martin. It's a big package. I, I, we mentioned Johan Rojas. We 
we pulled him in one of our card breaks, which you can find on Twitch. And he's a really athletic player and could kind of be that high upside guy that goes back to the, to the twins for maybe the highest upside athletic guy that we have in our league. No doubt. Jack, why does it hurt your brain? And why are you laughing? Just can't yeah, stop you're laughing. laughing. Like makes me sub self-conscious. <laughs> I, I just couldn't stop laughing at uh, foolish baseballs, all MLB team submission. You ready? Are you this? looking at that during the podcast? Are you on your phone right it now? Just popped up. It just popped up. It just popped up. Foolish baseball submitted his all MLB team. This is funny as hell. I just have to read this on the pod. All right. <laughs> Ryan Mountcastle at first base. Correct. Trevor Story at short. Incorrect. I mean, Wilson Contreras at catcher. Mitch Hanniger, Adam Duvall in the outfield with Adolis Correct. Garcia. Jose Barrios is a starting pitch. I mean, it's Wait, so what is he doing? Is it's he just so funny. Mid? But those guys aren't even mid, but they just picked a bunch of B plus guys, not the A guys. Yeah, not not too bad where it's like obviously just a joke, but not not an actual all MLB team either, just like right in the middle. Yeah. Not bad. I actually agree. Mount Castle is gonna be on the all MLB team next year, so it's fine. Uh but back on topic here, McMullen. Sorry. Uh yeah, why does that hurt your brain? Yeah, what hurts your brain about it? It hurts my brain because I I just think the Philly system sucks. <laughs> it, does, it does suck. I mean, they've got two guys, right? I like Bryson Gable Stott. And Bryson Stott. I think that's it. So, like, it, it just hurts because I see all these names for the Phillies, and I, I want to stop reading after Mick Abel because I'm like, these guys, I don't really have faith in anybody else. And – you know, have I given them the time? I don't no. know, but I, no. I just don't really have much faith in guys not named Abel or Stott right now. So Hans Kraus, Hans Kraus no, just gonna, I was just going to say the Phillies farm system. I mean, they remember when they had the number one pick and they got Mickey Moniak? Like they just haven't yeah. been that good at drafting. But shout it, out my boy Kevin Gowdy, pitcher in the <laughs> Phillies from Santa Barbara. Keep pretty smart. Boys. Pretty smart to go under slot with the first overall pick in the draft. Yeah, I mean, yep. I mean, that was very smart. I didn't throw Moniac in this deal, but the 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 angle here is that one, it's Dave Dombrowski, so whatever he has left, deplete it. But I think this is the kind of move where he in Byron Buxton, he's still going to be expensive, but he's the most upside for cost, I guess, like he's, he's the only potential superstar that is attainable for the Phillies. I think it's the most simple way to say that because of the risk that limits his value. And I think the fact that the twins are only willing to offer him $70 million kind of shows how much the injury risk uh, is, is putting a lot of teams off. I, I really think that a lot of teams are too nervous to give anything up. That's crazy. And I think the Phillies knowing that their system sucks has to take this chance. Abel's a stud. I, I think he's going to be really good. He's electric. Uh, Johan Rojas, who honestly, like I was saying, telling Peter this too earlier today, I was like, I think it's only fair. And this is the highest upside guy in the Philly system outside of, you know, the, the two blue chippers. Stott has to be untouchable because they don't have a shortstop. But Johan Rojas is the most athletic player in their system. 70 grade runner plus raw power, uh, potentially a plus defender and center. I feel like it's only natural to have the most athletic player in the Philly system going to the twins uh, for maybe the most athletic player in baseball. Uh, that's where I look at it. And, and then, you know, you throw in Casey Martin, who, 
Yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, he's he's a really good athlete too, but it, he's he's a lottery ticket. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I, I think there's a chance that that deal could actually work uh, because you are getting one blue chipper and a big time upside in, in Rojas. Yeah. All right. Want to move on to the awards? Let's fill out the ballots. Let's do it. We're Let's manager fill in. out the ballots. The, the American League winner will be announced on November 18th. National League as well. Oh, no, no, no. Excuse me. The MVP awards will be announced on November 18th. Yep. The Cy Young awards will be announced on the 17th. Manager of the years on November 16th. And rookie of the years on November 15th. So that's when you'll hear them actually called out. But we want to fill out our ballots before they're officially released. Yep. We're going to go manager of the year, then rookie of the year, then Cy Young, then MVP. I'm going to give a quick rundown of each guy. Um, and then you're going to tell me who you're voting for. Cool. Jack, let's break into the manager of the year. Let's start with the American League manager of the year. First candidate is Dusty Baker with the Houston Astros, our 72-year-old king. Dusty just made the second World Series appearance of his career, and he brought likability to the least likable team in Major League Baseball in 2021. This was Dusty's fifth straight full season managing a 90-plus win team. His last two years with Cincinnati – his two years with Washington, and now in his first full season with the Strohs. So despite Bregman missing ample time, Verlander being non-existent, and no George Springer holding it down in center, the Astros were still inevitable in the AL West. Got Kevin Cash, too. His first 100-win season in year seven in Tampa. He finished third in both 2018 and 2019. He's gunning for his second consecutive AL Manager of the Year award now. And then Scott Service, after back-to-back losing seasons, Service locked up his first 90-win season in six years as the Mariners skipper. Not only did they get to 90, but Service guided the darling of Major League Baseball to one of the most enjoyable and competitive finishes to the season we've seen in recent memory. And I want to take you back to the deadline for just a brief moment, because Jerry DePoto traded Kendall Graveman, maybe the best reliever in the American League at the time, to a division rival. The locker room was pissed. There was an obvious and heated disconnect between the clubhouse and the front office. And as the liaison between the two, service bridged the gap, saved the club from an implosion, and they were better down the stretch because of it. So your your nominees for AL Manager of the Year, Dusty Baker, Kevin Cash, Scott Service. Can I start? Yeah. Kevin Cash is the winner of the American league manager, what he did to win a hundred games. Remember at the beginning of the season, the two best pitchers on the Rays were Tyler Glasnow and Ryan Yarborough, Tyler Glasnow done in the middle of the season due to Tommy John, Ryan Yarborough left off the postseason roster because he just sucked so bad. His ERA was in the fives. This was a team that all year first 26th in payroll, They don't have the type of talent that everyone else does, but they always just figure it out. Kevin Cash, they won 100 games this year. I like all the other options. Um, I don't really, I don't have a gripe if you say any other choice, but for me, I watch Kevin Cash all year. It's Kevin Cash for me. (sighs) 
I, I just, I struggle to go with anybody other than, than Scott service. I mean, what he did with a team that I did, we couldn't even explain it. Like we couldn't even explain how they were winning baseball games at all. Like we, we were racking our brains to try to figure that out. I, I look at the Rays. I mean, this is still a really good team. I mean, you look at Brandon Lau, he hit 40 jacks, 39, uh, just about Austin Meadows quietly drives in 106 runs. I mean, Joey Wendell had a really good year. Then they go get Nelson Cruz at the deadline. He wasn't the guy that you were hoping, but he was still pretty darn productive. Mike Zanino has the best season of his career. I mean, they had some really talented players, obviously. Randy Rosarena was back to like superstar in the second half too. I think the pitching was a little bit suspect at times. Obviously, that was a lot to overcome, but an absolute stable of a bullpen. McClanahan stepped up. Uh, I, I just think that, that that was a good team and a really well-built team. I think Cash continues to do a good job. Uh, but I think where the Mariners ended up and with, I think, the storylines with it too, as you know, Jack alluded to, I find it hard to, to go anywhere else, especially managing the young guys too. Like Jared Kelnick, rolling him out there every single day as he struggles. Yeah. Uh, they managed a lot of their own injury issues too. Dylan Moore, who was supposed to be a main piece for them, really struggled. They still traded away other guys too. I, I was really amazed that they were able to hang in there. And uh, you got to give credit to Scott Service. Can I say one thing before you go, Jack? 100 games in the AL East. Big accomplishment facing those teams every single day. Yeah. Mariners didn't make the playoffs. It's what it is. He did a yeah. great job with what he had, but they didn't make the playoffs. This so was a World was Series team a year ago. Yeah. I what were the Mariners? In 2020, though. You ready for me? <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that Eric Neander was the runaway AL executive of the year. Like, runaway. But I think Scott Service was the best leader of men in the American League. Um I think the roster construction for the Rays kind of, you know, dovetailing off Aram's point, like that was perfect. Eric, I didn't even mention Wander either. Right. I mean, like Eric Neander aced the 2021 season, but Scott service was dealt a C minus hand and turned it into a B plus. If A's get into the postseason, like he did such a good job of rallying the troops. There's something to be said about that. You know, he like, no, expected stat is going to tell you about leading men but scott service led men this year and it was really cool to see and you're right rolling out a struggling kelnick using taylor trammell when it was best fit for that they had no kyle lewis and they won 90 games i also just like i think we're and not intentionally but almost devaluing this mariners roster as if he just dragged a bunch of nobodies to a wild card when he didn't i won't i won't sit here and say that I think similar to the Rays, they weren't as talented as the Rays. I mean, but from top to bottom, they don't have that many weaknesses. They had pretty good starting pitching. Their offense was pretty good this year. They were a good defensive team and they had a good bullpen. But before the year, you'd point to a lot of these strong suits and say, they've got a weakness here, 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 here. Also, they didn't think the Rays were going to win the division. Thought it was possible. Did we all think that? Did we all think that they were going to win 100 games? Let's look back at the tape. And let's talk about it because I remember we were looking at this Rays roster and then they lose their two best starting pitchers. And now, I mean, we, we, can we, can we give the same argument to the same teams when they're doing similar things? I think when you look at the Mariners, dude, they didn't even rank in the top 15, I think in any team category, uh, that's, that's 
enough for me in itself. I mean, the Rays were. But they probably didn't rank in the bottom 10 at anything either. I bet you they did. I, I, I bet you they did. I, they weren't good. They were bottom in batting average, bottom in, in runs driven in, bottom in just about every major offensive category other than like. Uh, there were some cherry pick stats so like late and close or whatever, and certain little things like that. Uh, but I think that kind of ties into to manager stuff as well. I, the, the Rays were one of the best home run hitting teams in baseball, one of the best bullpens in baseball. Uh, and, and obviously they were ranked around the, the top of the league in, in ERA as well. I mean, we this, think this that is, they were going to lead the league in home runs. I mean, no, did, 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 did I will Kevin not cash hit the home runs. That's the, that defeats the point. Like Kevin cash didn't go up there and slug homers. He's not the hitting coach. I like this is That's the why thing. This conversation is tough because we don't know exactly what they did. I know he didn't help yeah. them hit homers. I know that. Are you sure. Yes, positive. I know that the Mariners were at the bottom of the league in almost every team category and still won ninety games. A coach transcends that, or a manager transcends that. Uh, the Rays were one of the better teams in baseball. They exceeded our expectations by performance uh, with their players, but I, I think. You look at the Rays or the, the Mariners lineup, like nobody did that well. I mean, their, their most productive player was Kyle Seeger, who hit 212. Ty France uh, was a beast. Ty France was great. He, he was great. But, you know, that's a guy that hit 18 home runs and drove in 73. Like, he was really good. I love Ty France. But, I mean, that's, that's, your, that's your main guy. Mitch Hanniger. I freaking love Mitch Hanniger. Uh, that's probably your best player this year. It was Mitch Hanniger. I, that's pretty crazy. I just love how heated we got for the AL manager of the year. Like we've got so much more to go through. Yeah. Let's go to NL manager. I'll I'll move on. I'll let it go. Let's go to NL manager of the year. Uh, Craig council with the Milwaukee Brewers is our first nominee. 2021 was Milwaukee's second division title in the last three full seasons in their fourth straight full season finish within the top two in the NL central council pushed every right button with the least talented offense to appear in the postseason this year. And he oversaw the second best starting rotation in baseball. And I'll stand by that. Gabe Kapler is the second option. Kapler's two years in Philly, 80 and 82, 81 and 81. His first year in San Francisco, 29 and 31. In 2021, he goes 107 and 55. He just managed the best team in baseball. And he was more hands-on than any other manager at the highest level of this sport when it came to in-game substitutions. He helped foster an environment that produced breakout seasons from Darren Ruff and Lamont Wade and a return to glory for Buster Posey, Brandon Crawford, and Evan Longoria. But let's shout out his help before we move on to Mike Schilt. There were 16 people on the Giants coaching staff this year. My favorite positions on the coaching staff, the quality assurance coach, the director of pitching, which was separate from the pitching coach, and then you had a hitting coach, an assistant hitting coach, and a director of hitting slash assistant hitting coach. And then you've got Mike Schilt. The fundamental disagreements apparently didn't hinder Mike Schilt enough when the Cardinals stood on their heads to surge themselves into an NL wildcard spot with a 17-game win streak. That win streak, by the way, the longest in the National League since 1937. He also went to bat for his guys. Don't get me started on Giovanni Gallegos. This feels like a Dwayne Casey situation with the, with the Toronto Raptors. Like, no matter how good you are, you're not who John Moselock wants at the helm. So your three nominees are Mike Schilt, Gabe Kapler, and Craig Council. I love how Jack loads these these intros so much. You know, exactly, I love them. It's but awesome. you know exactly who his guy is by the way he does the intro. 
I mean, this, I can already I mean, tell you how he power ranks his guys. Tell me if I'm wrong. Number one, your winner is going to be Kapler. Then number two is Schilt. And then number three is Council. How did you know, Arm? <laughs> I also think it's Kapler in a runaway 107 wins. Yeah. It's they came into the season with a goddamn win projection of 72 and a half. And they won 107 games. Yeah. Gabe Kapler. And it's, I love Craig Council, though. Love Mike Schilt. Gabe Kapler in a runaway. I, I love Mike Schilt, uh, but I don't think he's going to become the first manager to win manager of the year. The season he was fired since Joe Girardi in 2006, uh, or 2008, excuse me, or it was six. It was one of those two years, regardless, with the Marlins. Super good idea to fire your coach uh, as he wins you know manager of the year that was great i think it happened one other yankees yep of course he did and then there was one other occasion with with the orioles like 30 years ago crazy that he's you know that this happened but she'll you know he really helped push that team and i think he should deserve more consideration than people think i very well think he finishes second uh but yeah you got to give it to kapler so much mixing and matching with this team they've got 10 hitters basically and he had to figure out when to go to who uh, and, and he did it right. He fully did it right. So I, I'm all in on Kapler. Did you just hear Aram shit on me for positioning it to be Kapler one, Schilt two, Council three? I wasn't shitting on wasn't you. Shitting I was Kapler one, Schilt two. I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't I, shitting on you. I was I just. Would, I would I'm say Council over Schilt, personally. Ooh, why? Contrarian. Why? More wins. <laughs> I, I don't know. I Your favorite stat hits. Yeah, I just. I mean, no, I don't. I don't know. Quite frankly, I I, I was like, I'm gonna no I Jack Flaherty run away. I didn't really think about the difference between Shilton Council, quite frankly, because I it's Kapler so far in a runway, similar to the way we'll see our AL MVP is just in a runaway. Yeah. So should we break into the freaking rookie of the years? Let's go, AL rookie of the year. Are you feeling Randy, baby? Randy Arozarena <laughs> led all rookies in hits. He led AL rookies in doubles. He was one of eight rookies in Major League Baseball with 20 bombs. He was second among them with 20 stolen bases and is hitting 354 with a 436 OBP and an OPS at 1,200 in 29 career postseason games. Wander Franco with the Rays in 70 games in his maiden season during the regular season. Wander hit 288 with an 810 OPS, seven bombs, 39 stakes, a 127 WRC plus, and a 12% strikeout rate, 38% hard hit rate, and he showed off solid defense and a cannon for an arm. And then Luis Garcia. Garcia was third among AL rookies in ERA, but he exceeded Shane McClanahan's innings total by 30 and Alec Manoa's by 40. Those were the two guys in front of him. Garcia was the strikeout leader among rookies, more than Trevor Rogers, more than Tarek Skubal, more than Tristan McKenzie. When Lance McCullers went down in game one of the ALDS, Garcia's postseason role increased. He was hot and cold, but he did the job. It's Randy, but I don't really want it to be Randy. I want it to be Wander because Wander is the better player. But Randy did have a good season, and you give it to the best quote-unquote rookie, even though he's a veteran at this point considering his playoff acumen. I'm going Randy Rosarena. 
he just had the best year of any rookie. And I, when you look at the totality of the season, I think it's almost kind of obvious, even though I think Luis Garcia had a great year. I think Randy Rosarena just kind of won it outright. I will say this before you go, Aram. What sucks about Rookie of the Year, and the Rookie of the Year award is different than Manager of the Year and Cy Young and MVP because it is a situational award. Yeah. Because if Wander Franco was up for 150 games, he'd win. He, he'd win in a landslide. It might be if unanimous. He, if he didn't pull his hammy, he probably wins. He probably yeah, would have would have had like 9,500 games around, maybe maybe a little bit less. Yeah, I think he wins then, it. Then, then, we're, then we're talking about him probably winning it. So. It's tough. I will say a Rosarena too, something that really helps his case. I don't even know if he needed it, but his defense improved so much. I mean, he went from massive liability to actually an okay defender out there. That definitely was, was a really impressive thing to see, which would probably go more towards most improved, but a rookie can't win most improved. Right. So it's weird. It's weird. A lot of it goes into just the bizarre 2020, which is unfortunate. I mean, we have Ian Anderson on the other side of things with a little bit of a weird situation, but the fact that a Rosarina is going on 27 also just makes it bizarre. He's the guy that wins it. I mean, his second half, like I said, was spectacular. He, he had a 2020 season. It's just a weird circumstance where the old guy is going to win it, but Wander, we know we'll, we'll have the better career. Yeah. I'm too Randy. love Randy. I mean, Randy is a really good player. Like we're we're comparing him to Wander Franco, who could become one of the best shortstops in baseball, one of the best overall players. So it's not necessarily fair to Randy to just kind of shit on him. But well, he did have a really good year, and he is a really good player. I think Wander Franco's floor is Ozzie Smith's glove with Ted Williams's bat. <laughs> that's his floor. Yeah, that's his floor. And that'll do it for today's episode. <laughs> It's worst case scenario. All right. NL Rookie of the Year. NL Rookie of the Year. Dylan Carlson was second among NL rookies in war only to Jonathan India. He put up a 113 WRC plus in 149 games with a contending and playoff securing Cardinals team. He started hot. He stayed relatively warm and he was a consistent piece for the cards all year long. Jonathan India led NL rookies in games played, plate appearances, war, doubles, RBIs, walks, on-base percentage. He was second in OPS, second in WRC+, second in hits, second in home runs, and second in stolen bases. And then Trevor Rogers had a 2.64 ERA across 25 starts. That led rookies by more than half a run. If he qualified, that clip would be the fifth best in baseball, nestled between Brandon Woodruff and ahead of Zach Frickin Wheeler. Problem is, he was 30 innings short of qualifying in 133 innings of work. He had a 29% strikeout rate and an 8% walk rate. Trevor Rogers, Jonathan India, Dylan Carlson, Peter. Can Arm go first? Yeah, Arm. <laughs> I want Arm to talk about Trevor Rogers. <laughs> Look, listen. Trevor Rogers had as good of a year, I think, as he could possibly have had. Unfortunate circumstances that he had to deal with, you know, family issues and missed missed a significant amount of time. I think if he gets five more starts under his belt and those numbers were about the same, he would have qualified. You're going to have a really hard time making a case against Trevor Rogers, uh, top six in ERA in the National League, which was loaded with arms this year, uh, to not be rookie of the year. But I think when we talk about it, how it's circumstantial and stuff like that as well, 
batting leadoff for a team that was in the hunt for a majority of the year and, and to be as consistent as Jonathan India was to get on base for a majority of the year at a 400 clip, then finishing the high three hundreds. Yes. The defense is not great. Uh, but I think when you're playing in such a position of importance, like Jonathan India did for this Reds team, I got to give it to him, but I will say he's lucky that Trevor Rogers didn't have five more starts under his belt, because I think Trevor Rogers would have won it if that were the case. And just, I also think it's Jonathan India's award, you know, to lose, but I just have a question. Jonathan India in college wasn't a second baseman, if I'm not mistaken. So he's, he's actually had baseman. to, yeah, third baseman. So he's had to kind of learn this new position and he's such a good athlete. And you could tell that he's so cerebral as well. I just feel like he's going to figure it out and only get better. I'm very excited for what Jonathan India is going to bring to the table, but I also am, I mean, Arm, you know this, I'm a big fan of Trevor Rogers. I think he will actually end up having the better career than Jonathan India. Totally. I'm willing to say that right now. I think Trevor Rogers is a future ace in this league, but I think Jonathan India, when you look back at 2021, he just, he won the award. Yeah. He just did it. He just did it all, you know, and he was consistent. Yeah, what I love about India is you're right. He was a third baseman at Florida. Um, he yeah. changed his body and he changed his game too. Speed really wasn't his game at Florida. Um, speed is part of his game now with the Reds, which is interesting. But I do agree that Trevor Rogers is going to be the better player. Um, I'm writing in Frank Schwindel as my NL Rookie of the Year. <laughs> kidding, you know where I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, can we talk about the fact that freaking Jack McMullen called plus 4,000 check episode two of the just baseball show cha-ching plus 4,000 for Jonathan India, Jack McMullen stand up. Well, you don't have to. Should I go to the back of this room? I did this before we started. For anyone looking on YouTube, it looks so right, you ready for this? Just did the podcast. I'm just back there. Why does that look so weird? It, it looks like he's in a... <laughs> he, he looks, looks superimposed. Like he just looks like he's in one of those rooms. Uh, I'm trying to think of... You know those deception-type rooms? Yeah. Where he's like... Super- <laughs> yeah, he the looks- room I'm in is actually built on a slant. <laughs> yeah. It looks actually um, superimposed. Wow. What, are you, is your camera a fisheye? No, it's, it's actually not a fisheye. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you why that was the case, Arm, to be totally honest. Okay. National League. Cy Young. Uh, AL Cy Young. I've been going AL then NL. Oh, I like it. I like um, it. Do you want? Do you want to go NL for? I actually like think NL Cy Young is a lot more fun than AL Cy Young. I think both are really good. Yeah, both are fun. AL Cy Young. Let's start with Garrett Cole, who led the American League in wins and strikeout rates, second in total strikeouts. He was third in the American League in ERA behind Robbie Ray and Lance McCullers. He was fourth in the AL in innings pitched. I think we should restructure the pitching triple crown. So instead of wins, ERA strikeouts, I'm a proponent of it being innings pitched ERA and strikeouts. And if that's the case, Robbie Ray won the pitching triple crown. Aram, you're shaking your head. Should be X Woba, uh, yeah. Bacon, and X Wobacon, X Wobacon, X Wobacon. Yeah. And FIP. Yes, but yes. go proceed. proceed. Wait, just X FIP. XFIP, not not fit. XFIP. I don't want so, any numbers that happened. I only want expected. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, it, but if that's the case, if I go with my, you know, brick and mortar uh, pitching triple crown with innings pitched, ERA and strikeouts, Robbie, Robbie Ray won it. Ugh, that was hard. Robbie Ray won it. 
He led all of baseball in strikeouts. He led the AL in pitching war, and he was second in the AL with a 32% strikeout rate. And then Lance Lynn, hindered by injuries, but he was a workhorse. And he was as close to a guaranteed eight innings as Major League Baseball had this year. He doesn't necessarily have the numbers to back up that case, but for the most part, this was a two-horse race. Peter, it's closer to home for you. Let's hear you go first. Garrett Cole should win this award. Correct. Garrett Cole should win the American League Cy Young. I'm going to tell you why. Now he's ERA, right. you know, earned runs allowed. Makes sense. Robbie Ray did a little bit better of a job this year. But if we're looking at war and in terms of baseball reference war and Fangraphs war, they seem to be a little bit different. It seems like Fangraphs favors a lot of the, you know, savant stuff, a lot of the, um, a lot of those type numbers. And at least on Fangraphs, Cole did have a higher war. But on baseball reference, Robbie Ray had the higher war. So that's kind of interesting. But when we look at like strikeouts, walks, even home runs allowed, FIP, ex-FIP. Garrett Cole struck out more batters. He walked less batters. He gave up less home runs per nine innings. He had a better FIP. And the ex-FIP is very close, which, I mean, say what you want about ex-FIP. But even in terms of hard contact, Robbie Ray gave up average exit velocity of 90.4 miles an hour, while Garrett Cole was at 88.7. So Robbie Ray gave up harder average contact. He also had a higher hard hit rate as well, 43% for Robbie Ray to 38% for Garrett Cole. So when you go a little bit deeper. Into the advanced And we're going a little bit deeper. Garrett Cole is your American League Cy Young Award winner. But it is close. I do think it's close. But I think Garrett Cole is the winner. Yeah, so so Fangraph's war is FIP-based. So that's why you know his FIP being better helps boost that war. But I think that's a really important stat when we're looking at Cy Young. I think ex-FIP, when we're talking about players and their value and stuff, is a really important contextualizer. But I don't care about expected stats when yeah. we're giving an award out for what you did. But FIP, I think, is important because we're talking about what this guy did if you try to eliminate the defense behind him. I think it's a good reference point. And Cole was fantastic in that regard. Obviously, he had some some issues with his catcher. Uh, that's why he has a, a custom catcher uh, a lot of the time. But like, I, I just think what Cole did overall this year, I think it's interesting too, because all the finalists had like blow up starts down the stretch, uh, which was funny because I think if Cole doesn't have a couple bad starts at the end there, he takes it because Ray had some bad starts at the end, regardless on a macro scale. I think Cole had some of those big, like iconic iconic's a big word, but relative to 2021, some big time cojones starts that really helped, you know, catapult the Yankees he was a true embodiment of an ace and I I do think that Robbie Ray gave up a lot of loud loud contacts and got away with it a little bit I I still think that he had more blow-ups I like Garrett Cole on a full season scale yes you had the big strikeout numbers from Ray but you still had pretty close K numbers from Cole and then everything else across the board was more consistent uh, Garrett Cole's the guy for me. Uh, and I think it's honestly p- pretty more clear for Garrett Cole in the AL than the NL situation in terms of Zion. Yeah, I think Robbie Ray wins the tight pants battle. He showed off those hammies and that absolute peach of an ass. Um, <laughs> now, having said that, I think, 
I think ERA uh, matters. I think strikeouts matter. Um, I do think Garrett Cole should win the Cy Young. And But if we're talking strikeouts per nine, like Garrett Cole was literally striking out more batters per nine innings than Robbie Ray. Yeah, yeah, and he had a higher strikeout rate too. Um, here, Here's why I lean Cole. Um, I think there is some value in being valuable. Um, I think Robbie Ray put together the season with the better numbers. And I think when you look at it from a macro scale, um, Robbie Ray had the better year than Garrett Cole. I think Robbie Ray is going to win the Cy Young. But if I had a ballot, I would vote for Garrett Cole because if I'm running Garrett Cole or Robbie Ray out on August 1st or June 10th or September 29th, I'm running Garrett Cole out there instead of Robbie Ray just based on how I know he can overcome bad starts the game prior um, and my faith in just his stuff and his makeup. So I think Garrett Cole um, should win the Cy Young. I don't think he's going to win the Cy Young. I also kind of feel like Robbie Ray will win the Cy Young. Yeah. Because we, you look at results-based stuff and that matters to a lot of people and it matters to me and it matters to us. And when you Ray had some better results, seriously, when you look at innings, ERA and strikeouts, it's Ray, Ray, Ray. It's hard to get over, especially for the voters who value that maybe more than we do. Yep. I I still think Cole, I still think Cole is going to get it. You think Cole will win it. I think Cole will win it. I hope, I hope you're right. Cause I hope we're right. NL Cy Young. These guys are freak like freaks, like beasts. Corbin Burns struck out 36% of the hitters that he saw. Max Scherzer was the best deadline acquisition like ever. He had a sub two ERA with the Dodgers. I mean, he was looking like he could go sub one with the Dodgers across 10 starts. And then Zach Wheeler was the king of durability this year. One of four pitchers north of 200 innings, and he had north of 200 strikeouts. Zach Wheeler, Max Scherzer, and Corbin Burns. I wrote a whole piece on this thing. So Yeah, you go first, Arm. Yeah, I I wrote a whole piece on this because I thought it was so intriguing. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this deep dive anyways. So I might as well write something on it. And, you know, I look at it like this. The big, big drawback i guess the only thing that's holding corbin burns back from winning this award is his, is his volume right because you look at the fip 1.63 i don't even know the last time we've seen a 1.63 fip i don't care that it's 167 innings like i don't know the last time we've seen that 2.43 era literally tells us that he he was unlucky like he could have even been better and he still already led the league in era that's insane then the the whip sub one yes scherzer had a 0.86 whip That's also fantastic, but only 12 more innings from Scherzer. So it's not like it's enough to really differentiate. We talk about the strikeout rate. That's where Corbin Burns is on a different level, and nobody's even in that vicinity. Wheeler has the volume. Uh, Scherzer is kind of in the middle with the volume, and then Burns has the numbers. What what really makes me go with Burns here, and I said it in the piece that I wrote, and I'm actually going to reshare it on my personal Twitter because I think it's relevant again, obviously, but the Blake Snell precedent which is when Blake Snell won the Cy Young in 2018. He won that award despite throwing much less innings than the other two finalists, Justin Verlander and Corey Kluber. A lot of people say that Verlander should have won it that year. 
but he didn't. And it was Blake Snell because he had the most impressive ERA at 1.89, which was just something we hadn't seen in a while. And he took it home, but he had 180 innings versus Verlander's 214 versus Kluber's 215. I think we're going to see a similar thing there with the Blake Snell precedent. We're going to ignore the fact that it was 167 innings because it's only 12 less than Max Scherzer. And I think Wheeler's numbers are too far off. I'm giving it to Burns. He's got a perfect little sweet spot here between just not quite too few to have Scherzer get the edge and way better numbers than Wheeler. He's going to, he's going to take it home. And just to tie a bow on that. I mean, Army went through basically everything I was going to say and more with Corbin Burns. You can't dock him just because the Brewers used him in this way. And it's also in a season where only four pitchers threw 200 innings. So it was not where he's not, 167 inning Corbin Burns going up against 230 inning Max Scherzer and 240 inning Zach Wheeler. And then we're trying to decipher, was he really more valuable in those innings? But since it's so close, the 12 inning difference, I think Wheeler finishes third here. And I think it's Max Scherzer, Corbin Burns. Like I said, if Max Scherzer had 230 innings, we're having a different discussion. And I think if he had done that with the same numbers, I would give it to Max Scherzer. But who was the best pitcher in their innings this year? That's Corbin Burns, and that's my pick. Yeah, I this race, like, to be totally honest, I could still be convinced that Walker Bueller could win the Cy Young. Like, kind of me too. <laughs> it, it was a four horse race. It feels like those years where the Heisman Committee invites five guys to New York City instead of three. That was how deep the National League pitching stable was. Really um, nice. To be honest, I probably would have voted for Walker Bueller if, if I had a vote. Um, I really, really, really value durability. And I really value Zach Wheeler just tossing the Phillies on his shoulders, along with a guy that we're going to talk about with the NL MVP. Like, that was two guys carrying the Phillies to really close to the playoff conversation there. So I want to give Zach Wheeler a little bit of credit before I say that Corbin Burns should win the Cy Young. Um, because Zach Wheeler, what he did was really cool. I mean, he was one of those four guys with 200 innings of work. Uh, but Corbin Burns and his 98 mile an hour backdoor cutter, like, how can you watch that and not want to hand him the Cy Young in May? <laughs> like, I wanted to hand him the Cy Young in May because that was so cool. And I also think it's really important to compare them to their peers, right? Like, of course, 167 innings seems light, but in 2018, 22 players tossed at least 119 innings or 190 innings, excuse me. This year, only seven pitchers exceeded the 190 inning threshold. So I think you have to put, we have to move the goalpost a little bit on terms of what is uh, an actual workload for yeah. a starting pitcher. It's still, still light, but subjectively it's not as bad. The other thing that really stands out to me about Corbin Burns is that he led the league in home runs per nine innings pitching in a band box that is American family field. That is just kind of the, the cherry on top for me. It's just so impressive what he was able to do this year. You can still call yeah. it Miller park. It's fine. Thank so goodness. The least frozen. amount of home runs in a park like that per nine innings is so impressive. I think he would have done it in Williamsport. <laughs> uh, AL MVP. We ready? AL MVP. This I think is a runaway. <laughs> Vladdy Jr. had one of the best seasons in recent memory at the plate. He was absolutely incredible. I don't, you know, I don't even need to dive into the the numbers here. We can if you want, but I mean, this guy just flat out mashed all the time. 
Shohei Otani was not far behind. And oh, by the way, he was a pretty freaking good pitcher. Uh, and then Marcus Simeon showed up. So make sure you wave to Marcus Simeon at the uh, MVP awards. Shohei Otani had a 3.18 ERA. He hit over 40 home runs. He stole over 20 bases. He's one of the fastest players in baseball. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. And he finished sixth this year out of all hitters in WRC plus, which I'm really coming to. It's not the end all be all stat for hitters, but WRC plus really is my favorite stat when evaluating a hitter. And that's, you'll see that in the NL MVP debate. People were saying this is not one of the best seasons that maybe Barry Bonds when he hit 73. Who's saying this? Who are you listening to? The haters. I'm listening to the haters. (laughs) This was the greatest season I've ever seen. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say it was the greatest season of all time in Major League Baseball history. What we saw was not from a human being, but from a spaceship. Because you you aren't supposed to do that. Remember the Brendan McKay stories? We saw him coming from Louisville, and he still might hit and pitch. But we've been hearing about these guys. They never pan out. This guy did it at the highest level on both sides while being the fastest. I mean, I had Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to lead the league in home runs this year at plus 4,400. Shohei Otani is the MVP. Yeah, I mean, he's the MVP. I mean, he's yeah. minus 5,000 uh, for a good reason. Um, Peter's got it all. I mean, the guy did things that we haven't seen done. The end of story. <laughs> and he did them insanely well. Other the than win the derby. What takes me over the top. The Other than the derby. That he's stealing bases. Yeah, yeah. And, and, he, and he's nice by all accounts. He's a nice guy. Does it all. Um, I keep, I keep bringing this up. Buck Showalter said early 2010s, I want to say maybe, you know, mid 2010s, once Manny Machado kind of hit his stride, he said, we are in the golden age of baseball. Guys are throwing the ball harder than ever before. They're hitting the ball farther than ever before. They are running the bases quicker than ever before. He literally just described Shohei Otani. Like he's, he's one of the fastest guys. He's one of the strongest guys and he's one of the hardest throwers. So Shohei is and he's handsome. He's super handsome. He's got crazy big biceps. Shout out Shohei. Yeah. Uh, let's wrap up with NL MVP. Got bolder shoulders. Yeah, he does. He does. The same. NL MVP, Bryce Harper dragged the Phillies to contention. This guy <laughs> got back to Bryce. Juan Soto is just a 22-year-old Ted Williams. And Fernando Tatis Jr. has captivated Major League Baseball. And when he steps on a baseball diamond you have to turn the TV on and watch Fernando Tatis. Tatis, Harper, Soto. I can That's go first. A crazy go first song? No, you go ahead, Peter. With me, I think it's just so razor thin close between Juan Soto and Bryce Harper. Fernando Tatis Jr. had a fantastic season and he will continue to have amazing seasons. I mean, so will the other guys. But I really do think that it's between Juan Soto and Bryce Harper. Do you pick the guy in Juan Soto who's a slightly better fielder, higher on base percentage, 
higher batting average, less strikeouts, more walks, more RBIs? Or do you take the guy who slugged more, had the higher OPS, had the higher WRC+, had more home runs, had more doubles? It's almost, in my opinion, what you value as a hitter, and that should be your MVP vote, considering they're so close. Give me the guy who led in OPS, who led in WRC+, led in home runs, led in slugging, led in doubles. Bryce Harper should be the National League MVP. Yeah, you know, I was going back. I don't even remember when it was that I said this right on the TikTok and said Bryce Harper plus 800 hop on. And then I couldn't place it anywhere. I couldn't find I couldn't find a book that had it. Uh, and now they legalized betting, I think, kind of in New York. I don't even I don't understand. It gets legalized three times and then they're like, OK, now you can bet. I don't understand it. But that's a separate topic. But the the whole run that Bryce Harper went on was crazy. And it kind of preceded the Soto run. Because then middle of Bryce Harper's insane second half, then Juan Soto goes crazy. And I've been, you know, screaming from the rooftops, Bryce Harper is the MVP. And I still am going to say that Bryce Harper is the MVP. However, one of the things that makes it razor thin, like Peter said to me, is let's remember this was a decent lineup at the top end going into the year and in the first half of the season. Right, you had Trey Turner, you had Kyle Schwarber for protection. I know he was hurt, but up, up until that point, he was on that insane run. I mean, they had a decent lineup. Josh Bell was swinging it, and then all of a sudden, you know, they they burn that thing down, and it's just Juan Soto, and nobody wants to pitch to Juan Soto, and you have nobody else to worry about. What Alcides Escobar, who actually was decent, but like, like let's be real, Jan Gomes, and he was better than ever. And I mean, when, when you're getting on base at a five sixty clip over the last month of the season and in a five fifteen clip in the second half. I mean, that's just special stuff. It is really amazing what he did. Uh, but that said, you know, Bryce Harper carrying a team that would have been probably way out of it if it weren't for him. I mean, watching him on the base paths, like just doing things, taking the extra bag, going balls to the wall for everything. I know he's not a great defender, but it just really was like anecdotally too, narrative wise. And let's be real. This is always about the narrative too. Totally. He carried that team and you could see it. When I went and covered the Mets Phillies game, I'm watching that guy. And I'm like, he's doing everything he possibly could. He was like uh, the one guy on the rec team that is just insanely good. And just was doing everything besides pitch. Uh, he, he really was the most valuable player to his team. And I think that really just embodies why he's, he's the guy. You guys know this, but I believe that there is a direct correlation between OPS and MVP votes. Bryce Harper had an OPS over a thousand. Juan Soto was at nine ninety nine. Uh, sorry, that sucks for Juan Soto. I wish it was one point zero zero zero. But there were two guys in Major League Baseball with an OPS over a thousand this year. It was Bryce Harper and it was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, Juan Soto was the best player in the National League this year. But best and most valuable are different conversations. I don't even right. know if he's the best. I, I think mean, he was the best. It's he was good. So I'm not gonna like debate you. I mean, they were both. Arm, what do you think? Who was the best player in the National League? Probably Harper. Uh, you think I so? think it's, no, seriously. I mean, it's like, what do you value? 
I think Soto was the best player in the National League. Um, I think if I could handpick anybody from the National League and take their 2021 season and guarantee it for my team in 2022, I'm taking Juan Soto. Yeah, I guess if you put it that way, yeah, if you put I'm, it that taking, way. I'm taking Juan Soto's season. Yeah, I'm taking the guy that gets on base more than half the time. Absolutely. Yeah, right. so I would say Juan Soto had the best individual season. Right. But I think what Bryce Harper did for the Phillies, mentioned narrative, I think what Bryce Harper did for the Phillies and keeping them in relevancy for as long as he did, I think that was the most valuable effort in the National League. So I think Bryce gets my NL MVP vote. My only thing, and we're talking about getting more on base, and yes, second half, like, oh my God, Juan Soto. But if we're really looking at, let's just look at the slash line. Juan Soto hit 313, Bryce Harper at 307. It's really close. On base percentage, Juan Soto had a 465 versus a 427 for Bryce Harper. 40 points. It's a lot. But Bryce Harper had a 613 slugging compared to a 534 slugging. That's that's 70 points. That's a lot. So if we're talking differences in the slash line, average and OBP, Harper was closer to Juan Soto. So everything that Juan Soto was the best at, Harper was like three or two. The power is where Juan Soto didn't hit 30 home runs. You know, he slugged 534. The power wasn't as there. I mean, he's just walking every He walked time. a ton. He walked a That's ton. That's the thing. But, but I'm not saying that he doesn't have the power. I'm just saying the results of the season didn't result in a ton of power comparable to Bryce Harper. But Bryce Harper's on-base skills were pretty comparable to Juan Soto. That's where I feel it separates. Well, here's the big thing, too. And I think this is this is a really big reason why we see these stat lines or the way they are between the two. Juan Soto didn't have any pressure to win a ball game for his team. So he takes his walk and he goes to first base and they lose whatever their bullpen gives up 10 runs in the eighth. <gasps> Bryce Harper, his offense was terrible by the, the down the stretch because, you know, nobody Reese could Hoskins. hit. Reese Hoskins was out and Real Muto was kind of hot and cold and slowing down right. and, and it just wasn't great. But Bryce Harper would see maybe one pitch to hit a game and he would hit it out. Like I was saying in the past, whereas Soto, maybe he'll take a first strike. Like he doesn't have to hit that pitch. Harper was in swing mode at all times, still taking his walks. But if there was one pitch, the one mistake he'd see in his four at bats, he was hitting it out. How many times did we see a Bryce Harper slot, like stat line in, in, in the box score that was like one for two with a home run and three walks? Like he legitimately was hitting the one pitch that he was getting a game. And to me, that that's just MVP uh, in itself. He was winning them games by himself. Soto, the cumulative stat line was better, but he didn't have the pressure to, to perform and to carry his team the way that Bryce but Harper did. That's what I'm saying. The cumulative stat, stat line, I don't think was better. If we're talking about stat line, OPS adds like all of them up. He had more OPS, he had a higher OPS, and he had a higher WRC+. plus. I legit think that we're like not saying that Bryce Harper had the best offensive season. I, I think he had the best offensive season. We're going to have a hall of fame ballot to discuss very soon. <laughs> uh, we're doing top tens. We're doing free agency. We're doing ballots. We're doing everything. And we bring it to you. What? Four days a week now. Not too shabby. Not too Five shabby days at all. So every link you possibly need is in our episode description. Go to justbaseball.com to read about arms trades um, good dialogue on those trades. Good dialogue on the uh, manager of the year, rookie of the year, Cy Young, and MVP. Anything, Aram, to wrap up? Pirates top 10 coming tomorrow or today, I guess, as people are listening. Top 10 prospects. Really love that system. 
Peter, thank you, everybody. 